following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, thanks, Scott, for reading that, and Del for leading us in prayer, and thanks to all of you who've been part of the service today here in the room and, and out on Zoom, and uh, we're so grateful that we can be together. And um, if you're just joining us and didn't hear my rather long preamble, we are trying to figure out how to make this work as a hybrid worship service because we are planning our reopening starting on Easter Sunday with some preview services leading up to that and some beta test practice services like this one leading up to that. And if you're interested in those details, you can find our website and hit the reopening safely button uh, or image and it'll take you to the page with all the details. And we're really excited for all of this and we're still figuring out how to make it work. So thanks for bearing with us. I have a, uh, an opening question for you today, which you can put your answers to in the Zoom chat if you're joining us on Zoom. If you're on Facebook Live, you can have your Facebook Live conversation in the comments there. I'll check in, and check in with it later in the week, but I can't see it right now. And if you're here with me in the room and you would like to give an answer verbally to this question, you can. It's a simple but fun question, which is, what is the most beautiful building you have ever been in? What is the most beautiful building you've ever been in? And you don't have to go on at length if you don't want to, especially if you're typing it, about why it was beautiful or what made it beautiful, but you can share whatever details you want. What is the most beautiful building you've ever been in? Ah, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Another Barcelona, Gaudi's old home. I need to go to Barcelona. I was in that city for about uh, 30 minutes on sabbatical in between uh, airports. But uh, let's see what else. St. John the Divine in New York City. Ah, Beautiful. I got to see the Duomo in Florence, Italy, when I was on sabbatical as well. That's probably my choice. Or maybe St. Bridget's Cathedral in Ireland. Any other great answers? What beautiful buildings have you been in or seen? Oh, Trixie says Westminster Abbey. Or maybe one of Trixie's family members. I'm not sure if that's Trixie or or somebody else using Trixie's Zoom account. Kristen says the Philadelphia Art Museum, that big building behind the rocky steps. So fun. (laughs) One of many beautiful buildings she's seen. Dave says St. James Cathedral in Toronto. And Jean says the National Cathedral in Washington. Catherine says the Hagia, Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Wow, so it's interesting. I t- didn't tell you to do this, but so many of the responses are religious buildings, cathedrals and so forth, and structures that are used for religious practice and public worship. <laughs> um, right now, the most beautiful building I've ever been in is this building because we're here, <laughs> some of us anyway, and more of us will be here soon. You can keep talking about those beautiful buildings in the Zoom chat if you want, uh, but I want to get going here uh, because the reading from the gospel today from John chapter 2 mentioned the, the temple in Jerusalem. And this story, I think, takes on more meaning if you know a little bit about the history of that building. And so... Looking at my notes, about half of this sermon is going to be the building's history. And I think it's so important to know. 
because boy did the temple in Jerusalem have a history. It's known as the second temple, by the way, and you'll see why in a minute. The, the people of uh, God, as described in the Hebrew Bible, we call them the Israelites, were originally nomads. They didn't build buildings. It would have been pointless to build a temple because for decades after they escaped from Egypt, they didn't have a home at all. And then even after they came into a more permanent home, it was a long time, like centuries, before they built the structure. So while they were wandering around and after they originally came into the, the promised land, they, they worshipped in something called the tabernacle, which was an enormous portable tent. So whenever they would stop somewhere for a while, they would construct this. And God met them there in this tabernacle. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that the Israelites actually built a physical temple, a permanent structure, and that happened under King Solomon. So this is about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. And this temple was glorious and extravagant and extremely expensive. Imagine what it must have felt like for the first people to go into that temple to offer their sacrifices, to worship God in whatever way they would worship God there after their entire history of their people being spent in a tent. They were now in this glamorous uh, building full of precious metals and jewels and God met them there. So King Solomon's temple the so-called first temple, stood for about 370 years. And during that time, it saw all kinds of tragedy and controversy. Um, not long after the reign of King Solomon, by which I mean the very next generation, the kingdom of Israel split into two nations. King Solomon's sons couldn't agree about who would take the throne, so they each took one. But then only some of the people had the city of Jerusalem in their nation. And so only some of them had regular access to this temple, which had been so central to their understanding of God and of worship. So imagine how special the people must have felt who got to live in the kingdom that included the temple. Who got to get the religious structure in the divorce. Eventually, the, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, but the temple in the southern kingdom stood. And so you can imagine, even more special did the people feel, because not only had they gotten the religion in the divorce, but just to reinforce how right they were about everything, the other people had been conquered. But eventually, the southern kingdom was conquered too. This time, the conquering empire was the Babylonian Empire. And this time, the temple didn't make it out. The temple was destroyed. It was leveled. It was brought low. It became a non-entity. So the people had nothing. Memories. And they were carried out of Jerusalem into exile. No building, no temple, no tabernacle. But God met them there too. 
And eventually, a new empire came through the region and took control. And under the Persian Empire, the Israelites were allowed to go back into Jerusalem. And not only to go back into Jerusalem, but they were allowed to construct their temple again. And so we have what came to be known as the Second Temple and the Second Temple era of Judaism. Imagine how special it must have felt for the people who got to worship in that place, who built it up brick by brick after being exiled for generations and then brought back to their holy city. Imagine what it must have felt like to walk into that temple and offer sacrifices on that altar. It wasn't as fancy or as extravagant as Solomon's temple, but God met them there too. It wasn't until uh, about 500 years later Now we're just before the time of Jesus that the second temple got a significant upgrade. They had a capital campaign. (laughs) Capital campaigns in the ancient Near East meant like, bring us your gold earrings and we'll melt them down. (laughs) A little different. But under the Roman rule and under the... um, vision, if you can call it that, of, of King Herod, who was kind of the puppet king of the, of the Jewish people in the Roman Empire, the temple got bigger. They expanded it and doubled it in size. I don't know that they added exactly 2,200 square feet. It was in hectares in the thing that I looked up, so I don't know what that means. But they doubled it, much like we've doubled our own building here, and it got some of the extravagance of the original. And worship continued throughout this construction period. And so the people must have felt very inconvenienced and put out for a while, but God met them there anyway. And imagine being there for that exciting first day when you could go back into this temple that had been returned and restored to the greatness of King Solomon's temple for the first time in centuries and to be able to offer their worship in that space. And of course... God met them there as well. So I tell you all this so that you can understand the context of what Jesus said and what Jesus did at this temple, this essentially new temple, this glorious place of worship. I mean, first of all, what he did was he, he... He upset the commercialized version of religion that was taking place there, which was exploiting um, underprivileged and impoverished people for the sake of leveraging their religious beliefs against them. Not that anything like that would happen today. But he got rid of that sacrifice for profit scheme that had been set up that was very lucrative for people and they didn't like that and they challenged him on it. That's an incredible story and there's a sermon that goes along with it. But today, in this Lent, in this wretched year, I am more drawn to what he said after the people challenged him. And remember what they said to him. They said, what sign can you show us for doing this? He had just driven out the money changers and the animals and flipped over the tables and messed up all of the commercial enterprise. What sign can you show us, they said, for doing this? Which is a very spiritualized way of saying, how dare you? Verse 
And <laughs> the best thing, I think, sometimes about the reading the Gospels is the stuff that comes after the question mark when people ask Jesus a question. <laughs> How often does he actually answer the question they asked? Not very often. But he usually gives them the answer they need. His answer really had nothing to do with justifying his own actions. He just said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I wonder, those of you who've read this gospel passage or heard it preached a number of times, if it rings a little bit differently today, if you know the history of that temple, if you know the fact that in that place, for the first time in 500 years, it felt like what the temple is supposed to feel like. It felt like religion was normal again. And then Jesus not only messes with the scheme that they had going, but also speaks um, about destroying the temple. Destroy this temple? That already happened to us once. It was a long time ago. My grandparents, grandparents, grandparents weren't even alive yet. You can understand why they didn't like that answer. And they said to him, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you'll raise it up in three days? Which I think is a very spiritual way of saying, don't speak that way about my holy place. John goes on to tell us, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, I love John's explanation of this exchange. I believe it, and I have this friend um, named Steve who uh, anytime he says something and, he's, and you think he's about to say but, he says and. This is like a ninja move with a conjunction, a three, little three-letter word in English to make the meaning of the world different and usually better. Right? If you change the but to an and. Anyway, I believe this exchange uh, this, this account as Jesus or as John gives it to us and I believe that explanation that he offers and I'm also struck by a fact of history which is that 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus that John tells us about the Romans destroyed that temple too and it has never been rebuilt And God met them there too. Wherever and whatever there was or is. So I want you to think back over this past year. There's been so much that we've lost. Lost life. Lost progress lost kindergarten years or senior years, lost graduations, lost weddings, lost joy, lost opportunity, lost jobs. Almost certainly, 
way too much to even be able to remember it all in one little moment of reflection. So to focus the question a little bit, I want to ask you, what temples have you lost, have we lost this year? Think back over that history of the Israelites, and I have to imagine that each time the people of God lost their temple, whether through tragedy or conquest or violence or exclusion, however it was lost, they must have felt like there was, there was no future for their religious practice. They must have felt at least for a moment that all hope had been lost. But God met each one of those people in each one of these new circumstances. And they always rebuilt in one way or another. And yet, nothing they ever built was so big or so perfect that it was the only place that could contain God. And perhaps some of them began to learn that it wasn't about where they worshipped in what kind of building or in what city but who they worshipped and God met them in that reality too a year ago as it happens almost exactly a year ago we were in this room mostly oblivious about what was about to happen to us, talking about deconstruction. We were, at that time, nearing the end of a very, very long construction project here at Artisan. And I thought to myself, there couldn't possibly be a more poignant time to talk about spiritual deconstruction. I wish I had been right. But one of the ways that I asked you at that time to think about spiritual deconstruction was to do something that I think fits really well with, with the, um, all this talk about temples. And it went like this. I asked you to imagine if you're experiencing a, a disorientation in your religious practice or in your spiritual life or in your beliefs, and you start to think about the metaphor of deconstruction, what does it look like for you? What kind of um, deconstruction or renovation are you doing in your spiritual house? This is what I asked you a year ago. Do you remember this? What does it look like for you? Are you just noticing some outdated features of your spiritual house that need to be repaired or replaced? Are you ripping out the whole kitchen? Are you putting on an addition? Are you gutting the whole house, taking it right down to the studs and wires? Or maybe are you standing right now on a pile of rubble because a hurricane or an earthquake destroyed everything? And if that's the case, I asked you a year ago, you have to decide, are you going to rebuild 
Or is it time to pick up and move to some completely different location? Some of you engaged with that thought experiment and some of you found it too troubling or too disturbing or too scary and you were worried about what you might uncover if you went too far down that road. And I wonder if some of those questions which were too much, too scary to ask a year ago, let alone answer, I wonder if those have been forced before you now based on the circumstances of this intervening 12 months and have now become unavoidable for you. I know that there are some of you in this Zoom meeting and maybe in this room here at Artisan who are barely hanging on to your religious belief, to your faith. I'm glad you're here. I wonder if now it's time, time to accept that whatever temple you were worshiping in before has been destroyed. Time to make plans to meet God in the wilderness again. I wonder if it's now time to stop trying to solve structural problems with a can of pretty paint. Or maybe it's the other way around for you. I wonder if it's time to put some elbow grease into a long overdue project in your spiritual house because this house has good bones and you do need to stay where you are. You just got to make the effort to make it work. I wonder if it is now time to imagine a faith that works under a tent. Or maybe it's time to draw up blueprints for the next big thing. Here's the thing about this. Your story is your own. I can't tell you which of these times I've just mentioned is actually the one for you. And I certainly can't expect that it would be the same for everybody in this diverse and spread out community. But I can tell you that I believe with all of my heart that God will meet you where you are. In whatever season you find yourself. And I can tell you that temples, both literal and metaphorical structures, they do matter, but they are never the point and they are never required. And I can tell you that if you tear down your temple or if you've had it torn down against your will by some violence or act of nature, that the Spirit of Christ will be there with you in your sorrow and in your loss. And I, I can tell you that, that if you listen for it, you will hear the voice of Jesus promising to raise it up again in three days. And you can receive that for yourself. Listen, I know it's Lent and we're supposed to be digging down deeper and dwelling in the ashes 
but this year I think we've had enough ashes. And I want to begin pointing you to the resurrection even now. Your spiritual house may be a wreck, or, or it may be wrecked, but Jesus is a healer and a builder. He brings life. So my prayer for you this Lent is that you will trust in Jesus and that you will have hope that whatever comes next, whether it's a new temple or back to the tabernacle or years spent in exile or time in the desert, that you will know that God is there with you, ready to meet you in any and all of those circumstances. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.